Welcome to Happily Reformed, a podcast where we discuss practical theology for the average Joe from a Reformed perspective. I am your host, Jimmy Snowden. Well, in this episode of the Happily Reformed podcast, we're going to be considering chapter 15 of the book, A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness. In this chapter, uh, Michael Barrett is the one who writes the chapter, and in this chapter we talk about the Bible and the role of the Bible in regard to sanctification. We talk a little bit about what the Bible is and also how we are to approach the Bible, uh, what sort of, you know, what is our, our mindset to be. And I also give one tip uh, toward the at the end of the episode of, of how, you, how you can have the most productive Bible study time possible. So anyways, sit back and enjoy the show. Well, I'm coming to you from the bathroom again, and uh, which is pleasant. Um, as always, I need to clarify that um, although I'm coming from the bathroom, I am not sitting on the pot, which is always important to say. I am at my bistro table. And anyway, I, I wonder if you were to listen to all of the episodes if you were to take the episodes that I've recorded from the backyard, the episodes that I've recorded from the bathroom, the episodes that I've recorded from the car, the episodes that I've recorded from the camper van, um, which would be the which are the which, which are the best? That's a that's a big question, isn't it? I mean, what if we find out that the best episodes come from the bathroom? If you were to take them all and you were to say, where does, you know, where does Jimmy communicate the clearest and hold our attention the longest? And, you know, he just gets in the groove the best. Would it be the episodes that I've recorded from the bathroom? That would be an interesting study. Any um, uh, master level students out there, maybe you can do your doctoral dissertation on this topic, you know, where, where, when, when you start to crunch the numbers and you start to look into the, the statistics, where, what, if Jimmy is going to record anywhere and have the highest likely, the greatest likelihood of having a good episode, what, what, where is he going? What, what's the greatest, uh, see, I clearly am not, fit to do this dissertation. I need someone else to do it. Um, this is not PhD work for me because I can't even get the question out. Uh, if he wants to have, have the best op- chances of, of having the greatest episode, uh, where, where should he go to, you know, what, what's the most likely place to have the best episode? And I, I bet you could crunch some numbers. Uh, this is only episode like thirty, so I've only done thirty of these. But, but I bet by now you're starting, you know, to see some, some. Uh, I don't know. Clearly, my mind doesn't work in the bathroom, as we can tell right now. Um, I I can't find words. Maybe this is now. Let me let me just say this. I recorded a podcast from the bathroom last week, and after a certain. Uh, after a certain uh, time of the day, it's usually after like six o'clock at night. I recorded this episode last week. It's it was like six thirty, and after about six o'clock at night, 
my filter goes. And, um, you know, on the podcast, I, I try to keep the episodes, I wouldn't necessarily say light, but I try not to get off into the weeds. <laughs> I have, you know, I'm one of these guys. I have an, I have an opinion about everything. And uh, sometimes my opinions can be strong. And um, so generally what I find is if I do an episode after six o'clock at night, I have no opinion filter. And I, when I try to record an episode, it ends up becoming me dogging on some highly controversial topic. And I end up not using the episode that I recorded. Now, it's actually 7.30 right now, 7.30 at night. And, um, so I don't even think that this episode is going to make it last week. I did it at six 30 and the, epi- I deleted the episode cause I went off on a tangent about tattoos. Now I-, I told Crystal about the episode. I made it the whole way through. It was an hour long and I told her all the stuff I said about tattoos and I was just feeling very ornery and feeling very opinionated. And she said, Nope, you're going to have to throw that one away. <laughs> So I re-recorded it uh, in my car later on that week. And um, so, you know, the, maybe it's the bathroom brings out the um, the controversial, or I, let, me, let me think of the um, uh, confrontational side of me, right? This is, this is where you have the unfiltered thoughts. Uh, but now it's 7.30, oh, 7.33, um, so hopefully I'll get through this without getting into the weeds, without, you know, getting up on a soapbox about something that I don't, I don't, I don't want to get distracted, right? This is a practical theology for the average Joe. And I do want to keep it conversational. You know, I'm not preaching sermons in this and I, I'm, you know, it's, it's intended to be kind of a, an informal uh, discussion. It's a, it's a guided discussion, of course, you know, I have, I make little notes. Um, I don't, you know, make as many notes or put even a quarter or even an eighth, eighth of the amount of time into it that I would put into a Bible study or sermon. You know, I read the chapter twice throughout the week. And then I, I write down just a few passages and, uh, I, I make a few little notes about some of the quotes I want to read from the book, but I, I don't put a whole lot of time into really shaping what I'm going to say. And so you really do, this is un, Jimmy Unfiltered, uh, especially if it's after six o'clock, because Jimmy Unfiltered after six o'clock becomes Jimmy with a whole lot of, of um, opinions and stances on, on topics that I have no interest on getting... Uh, I have no interest on in going down those roads. <laughs> let me let me just put it. Let me let, okay. It's seven thirty, and I'm only going to say one thing, okay? Because I don't want to get off topic, and I don't want to get in hot water with about tattoos. But this is this was one of the things that I said in the episode that I thought was gold. Okay, I wish I could have put if Crystal Crystal is my filter meter She's my filter. She tells me what I, you know, I tell her my thoughts. This is what I want to say. This is what I'm planning on saying. And then she usually says, no, <laughs> don't say that. Don't talk about that. 
And uh, whenever I have a question about, you know, if I'm preaching a sermon or a Bible study or whatever, I tell her, you know, if there's something that I'm kind of thinking, uh, should I say this? Or, And she's the one that will say, yeah, that's fine. Or no, uh, don't say that in the from the pulpit. You know, don't say that from um, on the podcast or, you know, you know, that, that, that would not be helpful. And I found that it's always, I I would say almost always, but it, it really is always <laughs> her, her, uh, her insight is always worth following on that stuff. Um, it, it is always, I, I, I never regret following her counsel when it comes to what to say and what not to say. Um, and I'm thankful for her for that. But um, anyways, so, oh yeah, uh, the what I talked about, about tattoos, I'm not going to go into. Let me just put it this way. I said that tattoos are, it's, it's our culture's permanent mullet. Um, uh, now you can just sit there and try to figure out what I mean by that, but it is, it's the permanent mullet of our, of our, of our day and age of our, ta- of our culture. And, um, that's my, I'm sticking with it without commentary, right? Uh, Doug Wilson does no quarter in November. Not that I really follow Doug Wilson, but, um, that's my no quarter November comment. Tattoos are our cultures, our generation's permanent mullet. Now, what that means, I'm not, I am not at liberty to explain what I mean by that. And if I told you what I meant by that, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> Anyways, okay, I'm wasting my time now. Okay, let's, I, I spent nine minutes talking about um, all of that, whatever that was. Uh, so anyways... Uh, we are in chapter 15 of a radical comprehensive call to holiness and uh, this is really uh, this was written by Barrett and um, this is the last chapter in the book that Barrett writes the rest of the except for chapter 24 I believe uh, the rest of the chapters are written by Joel Beakey. Um and so also I, I want to know uh, before I jump into this chapter um, so I, I was reading a little bit about this microphone that I'm using. The first episode that I recorded with it, I, I sat further away from it. And uh, I was reading a little bit about it. And it said, you know, you really want to get up on the mic. And you want to, um, you know, you want to, you don't want to be very far away. You you kind of want to, to, you know, to be up on the mic as close as possible. So um, the last two episodes I did that and I... I, I don't know what sounds better and I, I but I want it to be as you know I, I want to it to be as easy to follow and as much of a, a a pleasurable listening experience for you as possible so I I don't know if it sounds better up closer to the mic or if it sounds better kind of back here um, I, I I would think that it would be better up here. Uh, because what I can do is I can, uh, you can you can hear me better, and then I don't have to turn other volume the volume up on the um, on my audio mixer thing. Um, 
And what that will do is it will keep it from, you know, getting feedback and popping and all that other kind of stuff. So anyways, uh, but, you know, I, I hope that this sounds good. And I'm, as I said, when I first started using the microphone, I'm going to be tinkering with it and playing with it for a couple of months to try to dial it in. Uh, what is what works best with my voice and this uh, unique setup that I have. So anyways, uh, chapter 15, a radical comprehensive call to holiness. We are now uh, 11 minutes, 33 seconds into this, and I'm just now getting started. So if it goes long, um, blame it on the introduction. Don't blame it on me. Blame it on the, on the introduction. Um, I can already tell I'm probably going to be deleting this uh, because I'm already having a hard time not making fun of myself. And I need a drink of water. <clears throat> Poland Springs. Sparkling water with a twist of lime. Delicious. Anyways. So, uh, uh, the rest of the chapters are written by Behe, uh, except for, I believe it's chapter 24. I could be wrong. It's one of the chapters, uh, one, just one more chapter after this. And um, <clears throat> in this chapter, <coughs> Behe talks about the Bible, and he talks about the role of the Bible uh, in the Christian life. Um, it's called Studying the Word, and uh, this is a very good chapter. It kind of goes over the basics of the, of the scriptures and what the scriptures are, the, the doctrine of the Bible. Um, that the Bible is inerrant and uh, infallible, and it is, you know, authoritative. Um, it is clear. It's all of these different things, and he he talks about how we are to study the Bible and um, how we are to approach the Bible. Um, what I want to do, I, I'm not going to, you know, just as with all the other episodes throughout this book, I'm not going to be able to touch on everything. Uh, but there are a couple of things that I do want to touch on. Um, so, so what I'm, I, I think I have, let's see here, really three, three or four things that I, I want to say um, about the Bible and the the what the Bible is and the role of the Bible in our Christian life and how we are to go about studying it. Um, and so, yeah, let's just kind of the first thing I want to I just have. Th- basically three things, um, three or four things. So I, I'm just going to kind of go through them, uh, you know, in in order, uh, one at a time. So the first thing uh, is just to read this quote from B, uh, from Barrett on page 206 under the, the heading, How to View the Bible. He says, um, The scriptures, therefore, are not what ancient men taught about God or divine matters. They are the very words of God expressed in revealing his mind. Um, before that, he says, the Bible is ultimately one book with one author, God himself. The Bible is God's word. Um, there are many different texts uh, you know, in the world, religious texts. You think of you know, Buddhism. They have their own uh, texts. Uh, you know the Zen, the art of archery, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there, there's the Quran. Um, there are um, other texts like the Book of Mormon. Um, there, there are a lot of religious books 
and you see this a lot with Buddhism and Hare Krishna, uh, but you know some of the Eastern religions. There, there are a lot of texts, religious texts, that are written um, by. They're all written by men, but but all these other texts are are words from men. These are if you think of I was to write a book about philosophy or about you know you, you think about a, a book uh, by Sam Harris or Richard Dawkins you know the atheists talking about morality or whatever you know these are these are books written by men and they the books what they do is they they tell basically the book is there to tell you what their thoughts are about God or what their thoughts are about morality, or what their thoughts are about the universe, or what their thoughts are about existence and, you know, psychology. Um, you think about Buddhism, all the texts in Buddhism are, th- are the thoughts of men about morality, about spirituality, about psychology. These they're, They are the thoughts of men. Men write these these books and these uh, these uh, th- this uh, religious literature, and these books are written by men, and these books uh, they, they write these books so that we may know what their thoughts about morality or right and wrong, or ultimate truth or you know truth in error whatever. They, they these are books written by men to tell us about what their thoughts are. And so there are a lot of people who write books about God. And, you know, so, so you'll have, uh, you know, Richard Dawkins thoughts about God, his critique of God. Um, or you'll have, um, you know, Jordan Peterson, his thoughts on God or his thoughts on morality or his thoughts on, on, uh, what it was, what is right and wrong. Um, what is true and what is false. The Bible is different than all of these other books. Because the Bible, although it's written by human men, there is only one author. As the, uh, the passage that uh, Barrett quotes from 1 Peter uh, chapter, is it, I believe it's 1 Peter chapter uh, 1, or sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, where men carried along by the Holy Spirit, they wrote, and so the, these men, these prophets, uh, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They did not write down what they thought was right or true. Um, the authors of the scriptures wrote, uh, they, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the, so the, the uh, you know, Paul in first, or second, second Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, talks about how the scriptures are God-breathed. And yes, God did use humans to write the Bible, but God worked in a supernatural way so that the human authors wrote exactly what God wanted them to write. So that the Bible is not just man's thoughts about God. The Bible is God's thoughts about about himself. And the Bible is God's thoughts about man. The Bible is, we call it the Word of God because we believe that it is God breathed. In other words, when you, when you, when you speak, 
or you know, this is always the illustration I always use. Uh, James White uses the illustration when you speak. I think it's James White who uses this. If you speak, if you put your hand in front of your mouth, you can feel the air coming out of your mouth. That's what it means that it's God breathed. Or I always use the illustration growing up in Iowa. You know, it's similar weather to what we have here in uh, New Hampshire. And um, I remember it being very cold, standing out waiting for the bus to come pick us up. And, you know, when it's cold, you can see your breath. And, um, you know, I don't know what you call it. This, the, I don't know. You just see your breath, right? And that's what I think of when it's God breathed. When when you speak, you can see, or when you watch one of those, you know, football games played at, you know, at Green Bay or the Patriots, you know, um, and they're all breathing heavy, and it's really cold, and you can see the breath. Well, that's what the Bible is. When God speaks. Uh, what comes out of his mouth is, is scripture, right? The the Bible is God's thoughts, and yes, he did write. He did use men, these to 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 write the scriptures, and and I don't, I do not believe in what is called, um, what 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 theologians would refer to as the dictation theory, uh, where where men. This happens sometimes in the scriptures, you know, thus saith the Lord, you know, when you see that in the Old Testament, especially in the prophets, where God is giving them a very specific word to a very specific people. But, you know, when you think about like, um, you know, the book of Romans or, uh, you know, Ephesians or Galatians, First, uh, Second Corinthians or the book of Acts, uh, the gospel of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, um, you know, the, these books uh, were, were, it was not dictation. They, they didn't, you know, it's not like they fell into a trance and God picked up their hand and wrote for them. Or it's not like, you know, they would they would go into a deep sleep and then God would tell them, you know, now, you know, the next chapter, you know, uh, uh, you know, it's not, it's not like he's giving them what to say word for word. They're writing exactly what they want to write. And yet God is so sovereign that he works... Um, you know, uh, concurrently with the authors of Scripture, so that when they write what they want to write, they are writing the very words of God, and um, and so we have a passage like this in First Thessalonians chapter two. Listen to this. I, this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible because it tells us how how to, how we are to think about the Word of God. He says. Uh, First uh, Thessalonians chapter two verse thirteen, and we also thank God constantly for this: that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is—the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So Paul thanks God that when they, he preached the gospel to them, when he preached the word of God to them, they did not receive the word of God as it, as if it were the, the word of man, but they re, they received it as what it really is, the word of God. The, the word of God, the Bible, is not man's thoughts about God. It's God's thoughts about himself written, and he, but he used men uh, as the instrument of, to relay to us into the world his his thoughts and his word. 
And so in a lot of this, this is what trips people up. In fact, I've had conversations with a, a certain uh, friend that I have at work. He's a non-Christian. And he, one of the things that he just cannot come to terms with is that he, he, he says, well, you say that the Bible is the word of God, but it was written by humans. He said, I don't know a human who has done anything perfectly. And I said, I, I agree. <laughs> I don't know any perfect humans either. He says, well, because I don't know any humans who are perfect, there's no way that I can believe that the Bible is perfect. And my argument to him is God is more powerful than men, and he can overcome human weakness. And with the the authors of the scriptures, yes, God did use fallible men to write his word, but his word is infallible. Why? Because God's truth is stronger than the falsehood of men. God's power is stronger than the strength of men and the weakness of men. He can overcome human weakness. He, he, can, he can so sovereignly work so that a fallible man who is thoroughly fallible, like the Apostle Paul or like King David, think about how, how fallible David was. He is so powerful and so sovereign that he can take a man as corrupt as David and use him to write infallible scripture down to the very syllable. And, and you know, in talking with my friend at work, I've told him, you know, um, and I brought up this passage, First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, and I've said, you know, this is, this is what you have to contend with. Are you going to believe that the Bible is from men or ultimately from God? See, because what Paul says, he says, and we thank God constantly for this, that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And we know it's the word of God because of what he says next, which is at work in you believers. Words, you know, words are not at work in people, <laughs> okay? Um, human words are not at work in people. Divine word, the you know, but but the divine word, God's word, is at work in people. Why? Because the Holy Spirit makes it effective. And um, and so the Bible is God's word. And so what? Um, it, it's not man's thoughts about God. It's God's thought about God's thoughts about Himself. And He used men in the process of re, of writing down and recording these words. Uh, but but these words are not tainted by human fallibility. The, the Bible is the very word of God, and we are to receive it as if it were the very word of God. Now, uh, th- this is kind of um, kind of me getting ahead of myself, but uh, you know, I, I do think it's important to ask the question, do you relate with the word of God as if it were the very word of God? You know, I always think about the Apostle Paul when he says in the book of Galatians, you know, he talks about how, uh, actually, let me just turn there real quick. Uh, Galatians chapter one, when he talks about the false gospel of the Judaizers, um, he says, uh, 
He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. Now here's here's the, the big verse, verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Now, the the reason this is a powerful passage is because what Paul is saying is that if someone comes along and, and preaches a different gospel, a gospel that doesn't line up with what God has revealed in his word, then they are to be accursed. And he uses this, he says, but if if, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. Now imagine this. If we or an angel from heaven, imagine an angel from, from heaven comes down and begins to speak to you. An angel from heaven. You, you think about you know the angel Gabriel going to Joseph and going to, to, to Mary. And remember, they were filled with fear because... Angels are um, supernatural beings. And and every time someone comes into contact with an angel, they fall flat on their face out of fear. John did it in the book of Revelation. And the angel said, no, I'm just a a fellow creature like you. Worship God. So so imagine, I mean, just put yourself, you know, uh, in in John's shoes. And uh, on the island of Patmos, and he, an angel comes and begins to preach to you a different gospel. Now, that didn't happen in the book of Revelation, but just imagine if it did. If, if an angel came to you and began to speak to you like he did to um, Joseph or Mary, how seriously would you take the word that came from the, the angel's mouth? You would take it as this is so serious. Oh my goodness, I better listen. This this is significant. An angel is speaking to me. And I, I just think about that. When when an angel speaks, you listen. And not just listen, but you're filled with fear, like Mary and Joseph, filled with fear. Because this is a powerful supernatural being that is coming to you. It's, the angel is not God, right? But, but what do you, what, what, I mean, just go there, uh, you know, mentally for a moment. Put yourself in the shoes of, of, of Joseph or Mary. And Gabriel approaches you, an angel from heaven approaches you and begins to speak. Are you not going to hang on their every word? And if they tell you to do something, if they tell you, you know, the Lord has, the Lord wants you to do this, that, or the other thing. God is telling you to do this. And I am his messenger, and I've come to relay this message to you. Are you not going to obey with, with urgency, immediately hopping to it? And will you not take their words, the word of the angel? Would that not be a life-transforming moment that you would never forget? 
And you would hang on their every word and every commandment that they gave because you have this physical, supernatural being in front of you, you know, relaying to you a message from God. Would you not go and and immediately obey it? Would you not tell everyone that you know about it? Well, in the Bible, we have something better. We have the word not of one of God's messengers. We have the word of God himself. And if you would obey the the voice of an angel, and if if that would be a life-changing moment and experience for you, how much more when the God who created the angel speaks to you? And I think part of the reason why so many Christians are so uh, their their grunt their 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 growth is so stunted is because they don't understand the full weight of what it means when we say this is God's word. The Bible is God's word. In other words, this is God's speech to you. And so when when you read the Bible and there's a commandment, that is God telling you what to do. As if he were right there in the room with you. This is the way that he has chosen to speak to you. And what we learn in Galatians 1, that passage I just read, is that the Bible is so superior to the word of angels, and so it comes with such so much greater authority that if what an angel says is contrary to what the scriptures teach, then that angel is accursed. We see the same sort of a thing in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 14 in the context of prophesying. Um, but, but, but the the point, you know, I, the the practical point that I want to bring home is, is this: when you and, and this kind of ties into what Barrett will go on to talk about how we are to approach the scriptures, and one of the ways he says that we're to approach it prayerfully, dependently, diligently, and then um, sub, contemplatively, and then submissively. This idea of submissively. That we are to, um, we are to submit ourselves to His Word. That His Word, when we read it, we are to read it with a readiness to obey. And we are we are to understand that when we open up the Bible, we are positioning ourselves to hear the voice of the living God, of the risen Christ, the God who called creation, who called the world and the universe into existence out of nothing, that God who created you and sustains you is speaking when you read his word and when his word is read in in the public assembly and when uh, his word is preached. And so we need to approach the scriptures with seriousness and a sense of weightiness, a sense of awe standing before the word of god with our mouth with our hand over our mouth for the lord is speaking 
And, and it, the whole point of me bringing up Galatians 1 and, and the angel speaking to Joseph and Mary um, is, is to say that if that's how we would respond to the voice of a mere angel, how much more authority and weight should we give to the voice of the creator and sustainer and commander and king of the angels? Well, that's something to to contemplate. We we don't we don't listen to the word of the king lightly. We don't take his word lightly. Right? And I talked about this when we talked about the fear of the Lord. Right. Uh, that, that that's what it means to fear God is that we take that means that we we understand who He is in His authority and power and might and sovereignty who he is as a high king of heaven we 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 understand who he is so that when he speaks we give his words the weight of all authority in heaven and on earth all the authority that can be mustered up, we give it to his word. And we listen to his words with all the heaviness that we can muster up and all the seriousness that we can muster up. Because of who he is. Right. Okay. So um, so that's the first thing I want to talk about is what the Bible is. It's the very word of God. And and I believe that a lot of Christians, their their Christianity, uh, they're only going to grow so much because they don't think about what that means when they say that the Bible is God's word. It means so very much. And, and it means so much because of who God is. And when he speaks, you don't take his word lightly. When he gives you a prompt, now that's not just for for commandments and you know warnings about judgment. It also comes with words of promise. We take we 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 cling to his word because we know that the one who is speaking cannot lie. And when he promises something, he is faithful. He he does not lie and he does not deceive. If he has promised something, he will surely do it. Well, the the second thing I want to talk about is this. Um, Barrett talks about how we are to approach the Bible. And um, the first two things he says about that is um, we are to read it prayerfully and we are to read it dependently. And I'm going to take those two kind of together. And he's here talking about, you know, how do we, what is the right heart and mind, what is the right mindset and what is the right heart that we are to have when we come to the scriptures. Well, we are to come with a in the posture of prayer, um, which I believe is roughly saying the same thing as dependence. I'm taking these two together. He separates them out uh, prayerfully and independently. Uh, we are to read the Bible prayerfully and dependently. He, he, he separates them into two different categories. That's fine. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But just for the, pod, the the purposes of this podcast, I want to take them together because they do they relate to each other very closely, because prayer is the posture of dependence. 
Prayer is where you go to God, understanding your need and his ability to supply your need. And, and so when we go to the Bible, this is one of the things that I've often said is that we are to, you know, the only way that we're going to grow is if we study our Bibles. But th- there's more to it than that. The only way that we're going to grow is if we study our Bibles on our knees. What does that mean? That we study our Bibles uh, with a posture of prayer. We don't just read We pray as we read, we pray before we read, we pray after we read, understanding that God is the one who reveals, right? I always think about that passage um, out of Psalm, I think it's 123, uh, maybe it's not 123, it's it's one of the the Psalm of Ascents in the early 120s of of the book of Psalms, and um, and, uh, he talks about, you know, if... Um, if the Lord does not build the house, uh, the builders labor in vain. Something along those lines. Um, actually, I, I should just read it, huh? Um, let's see here. So it's in uh, Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. So unless the Lord builds the house, the, uh, those who build it labor in vain. And so the, the the so what I what I always say about this passage is you know I I take it and apply it to our reading of scripture unless the Lord reveals truth we read the Bible in vain. If 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 we don't read the Bible in a posture of dependence and prayer upon the Holy Spirit to reveal truth uh, there are there are thousands of millions of people who read the Bible every day um, and even memorize the Bible uh, but they don't do it looking to the Lord as the revealer of truth. Um, they, they approach the Bible in pride, believing that they can, you know, they they can arrive at truth on their own. Uh, but that's that's just not the case. We God is the one who reveals truth. God is the one who opens eyes. God is the one. Who you know? Who reveals truth? Who opens the eye? Who opens our eyes and enlightens our eyes that we may behold wondrous things out of His law? And and so our our approach to the Bible is always to be uh, we are to we are to study the Bible with an attitude of prayer, constantly looking to the Lord, pleading with the Lord. Before we're reading and during reading and after we're reading, pleading with the Lord to open our eyes. Now, what I, what I want to do, uh, because this is something, reading the, uh, you know, I did an episode um, on the third use of the law uh, a couple of episodes ago, uh, chapter 13, I think, of Beaky and Barrett, and they talk about the law and the gospel. And I talked about how Psalm 119 was so instrumental in helping me see um, the deficiency of New Covenant theology and helping me see, um, you know, the the biblical uh, strength of, of covenant theology. And it was from reading Psalm 119. Well, at, in that same period of time that I was studying Psalm 119, it was, it was 2013, somewhere 2012, 2013, somewhere in that time frame, um, 
as I did a deep dive into Psalm 119, um, I began to, one of the themes that I saw, and there is a section of Psalm 119 where the psalmist, I'm going to take another drink of water. Ooh, that's delicious. That's me saying it's fresh. Anyways, um, one of the things that it became clear to me as I did this deep dive into Psalm 119 is the prayer, the prayers of of the psalmist in Psalm 119 in regard to the Word of God. The psalmist clearly read the scriptures on his knees in a posture of prayer, in a posture of dependence. And what I'm going to do, and this may, for some of you, maybe kind of, I don't know, I don't know what your, your thoughts on this will be if you'll think that this is overkill, but I'm going to go through Psalm 119. I'm not going to read every verse, okay? But what I'm going to do is I'm going to, especially when you get to verse uh, 25 through verse 40, almost every verse is a prayer for God to help him understand, live, and obey the Bible. Almost every verse is a prayer of dependence for God to to help the psalmist. And um, and when I first saw this, I I I I saw that the, the psalmist was pleading for God, to God for help in Psalm one nineteen. And then I was like, I wonder how many of these pleas for help in regard to the Bible there are in Psalm one nineteen. And I began to count. And there are well, I think well over two about two dozen or so. Um, I don't, I, I don't have the exact count. I'm not going to read all of them, but I'm going to read enough of them, um, so that you can get the idea. And I want you to don't, don't just listen to this. Really meditate on these verses. Okay, so Psalm 119. Sorry, I just hit my, I have my Bible open. I just hit the the microphone stand with it. Hopefully that didn't. Uh, isn't too loud of a noise. Psalm 119, listen to this. What, what I want you to get out of this is to see that this is a theme in Psalm 119. That the psalmist, his relationship with the Word of God is a relationship of prayer, prayer dependent prayer. He doesn't just study it. He studies it on his knees. Okay, that's what I want you to see. Now listen to this. Psalm 119, verse 10. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. He's pleading with the Lord. I want to live in obedience to your commandments. Let me not wander from your commandments. Verse 12. Blessed blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. That's a that's a that's a request. Lord, teach me your statutes. Verse 17. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Living and keeping the word is is contingent upon God dealing bountifully with us. Verse 18, and this is the, the passage that Barak quotes in this chapter. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. You know, and this this makes you think, doesn't it, of the road to Emmaus, where Jesus opened their eyes, and they understood. Did not our hearts burn within us? 
and um, open my eyes. So, so you, you, if you if you want to behold wondrous things out of the law, out of the Bible, you want to behold the face of Christ. It's not going to be enough for you just to study hard. God needs to open your eyes. And so this is a plea to the psalmist, of the psalmist to the Lord. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of your law. Verse 19. I am a sojourner on the earth. Hide not your commandments from me. See, it's a plea. Hide not your commandments from me. Verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Oh, that's complete dependence, isn't it? And and he's looking for life according to God's word. Verse 26, When I told of my ways, you answered me. Teach me your statutes. He already said it, prayed that up in verse 12, and he prays it again. Teach me your statutes. A plea to God from the psalmist, verse 27, Make me understand the way of your precepts, and I will meditate on your wondrous works. Make me understand the way of your precepts. A plea to God. Help me to understand the Bible. My soul, in verse 28, my soul melts away for sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Strengthen me according to your word. Verse 29, put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. Put false ways far from me, and graciously teach me your law. Are you beginning to get the picture here? And I'm, I'm, just, I'm just getting started here. Verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I set your rules before me. Actually, verse 30 wasn't one of them. <laughs> I'm just getting started here. Verse 30. Uh, so let's look at verse 32. I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. Now, that one may seem kind of fuzzy because you may say, well, where's the plea? Well, it, the, the plea is implicit. I will run in the way of commandments when you enlarge my heart. In other words, God, I need you to enlarge my heart so that I can run in the way of your commandments. There is an implicit plea in, that, in, the, in this verse. Verse 33, teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Teach me the way of your statutes. Do you get the, the idea that David is on his knees as he's reading the scriptures? Verse 34, give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. So, so keeping the law and observing it with his whole heart is, depend, is, is conditioned upon God giving him understanding. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments for I delight in them. Lead me in the path of your commandments. Do you, do, and do you see how all these pleas are, are, are related to the psalmist? Uh, pleading with the God with God in relation to His Word and His law and His commandments, verse thirty six. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. In other words, I am not going to try to do this obedience thing on my in my own strength. I need God to incline my heart and plead with Him. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Verse thirty. Let's see. I've done verse thirty six. Verse thirty seven. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Verse thirty eight. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Now you may say, well, what does the promise have to do with the Bible? Well, where is God's promises revealed in the Scriptures? 
Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. And how does God confirm his promises? Well, well, he confirms his promise by fulfilling his promises. That's one way. And the other way that he confirms his promises is by writing them in sacred scripture so that we can memorize them and plead with him to fulfill them. Verse uh, 39, I believe it's verse 39 is the next one. Um, Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. I don't think verse 39 should have been in there. But anyways, continuing. He says in uh, verse, so that's kind of when you have verse 25 through verse 40, which are almost every single verse is a plea for help from God to open his eyes, to give him the ability to live and believe and obey, for for God to enlarge his heart, for God to teach him his statutes, for God to to open his eyes to see wondrous things out of his law. Here's a couple others from Psalm 119, verse 66, or 64 rather. The earth, O Lord, is full of your steadfast love. Teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes. How many times does he pray this in Psalm 119? It's the same prayer. Verse 66. You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. So it's, once again, a plea to the Lord for help for judgment and under and knowledge. Verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. <laughs> what is that, four or five times now? I need to count how many of these, because it, it's repeated. Teach me your statutes. The psalmist understands something. I'm not going to learn the statutes and the commandments and the laws and the ways of God if God does not teach me, if God does not help me, if God does not open my eyes, if God does not enlarge my heart. Uh, you know, if the, if the if the builders if the Lord does not build the house, the, the the builders labor in vain. If you study the scriptures, but God doesn't open your eyes and enlarge your heart and teach you His statutes, well, you're studying in vain. You're becoming nothing but a Pharisee. Uh, Verse 73, your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Verse 125, I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. Verse 169, now listen to the dependence and the, the plea of the psalmist. The utter dependence and the, uh, what, what, what would be a good word? The dependence, but the, um, the supplication of the psalmist. He, he, he's in a, in a state of complete and utter helplessness apart from God's help. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Now, there's more in Psalm 119, but these many verses that I've read demonstrate that our relationship with the Word of God needs to be a relationship of utter dependence upon God to reveal truth, 
to give us the ability to live the truth, to to keep us from sin, and to cling to his word, that we need his help, we need his strength, we need him to, as um, Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul prays for the um, Ephesian Christians, and he prays that God would give them a spirit of uh, of wisdom and revelation. I think I'm, I think I'm messing that up. I think I'm... Uh, bringing together Colossians 1 and Ephesians 1. So let me just go ahead and read it. Uh, verse uh, Colossians or Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse uh, 16, I do not cease to give thanks to you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation. Oh, that was right. May, that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. In other words, God opening up the eyes of your heart, enlightening you to what? And what he's going to do is Paul goes on in these verses and he talks about the realities to uh, about which the word of God speaks. So he says, uh, having the eyes of your heart enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurably immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe and, and so what, what Paul is praying there is this, I'm praying that the Lord would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him that he may enlighten the eyes of your heart so that you may understand all of the spiritual realities that he has communicated to you in the Bible. It's not enough to just know the truth. God, by his spirit, has to enlighten the eyes of your heart. He has to open your eyes like he did with the men on the road to Emmaus, that you may not just know the truth about the lordship of Christ, but that you may have eyes to behold the glory of the lordship of Jesus Christ, that you may feel the weightiness, that you may not just know the truth, but that you may, your eyes, the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you may know the realities that the truth is describing. Not just know the theology, but the realities, the spiritual realities that the that the that the, the the theology is describing. That you may not just know God as a theory or as uh, you know a philosophy, but that you may know Him as the living God, the one that you walk with and talk with, the one who is speaking to you every single. The living God. Uh, Martin Lloyd Jones preached a sermon. Um called the living God. And it is a dynamic, it's a dynamite sermon. It's great. Uh, I recommend you to read it. I don't agree with everything he says in it, but he said that this is the one problem with uh, reformed Christians is that we tend to take these, the theology and we stop at the knowledge of the theology and we don't push through to come to a real dynamic living relationship with the with the realities that the theology communicates in other words we know god uh, you know we, we can describe god's attributes but we don't seek to know uh, to know this god personally right we 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 know that he's a living god but we don't seek to really know him as the living God. And, and that's what the praying that God would enlighten the eyes of our hearts 
is a prayer, not just that we would learn truth, but that we would see the realities that the truth is communicating. As John, uh, John Piper talks about it in one of his books, um, Reading the Bible Supernaturally, I think is what it's called. Uh, it's a great book. Uh, highly, highly recommend it. And um, he talks about how reading the Bible is like looking... He said, he said it's like looking... Uh, like you're, you're in a log cabin up in the Swiss Alps and you have this giant mountain range and you know, that's, you know, in, in, in the imagery, that's God. And what the Bible is, is the window that you look out to see God. Um, it's how he has made himself known to us. And that's always what we need to be doing when we read the scriptures, is we need to look for God. What does this passage say about God? You know, and I think that uh, it's just interesting. Uh, just this past Friday, I was driving home from work and I listened was listening to audio the audio Bible um, on my way home from work, and I was listening to Second um, Kings chapter six with Elisha and his servant when the Syrian army surrounded them and overnight because the king of king of Syria wanted Elisha dead and Elisha's servant remember he woke up and he saw that they were surrounded by this vast army and the king of Syria sent his army on a mission with one purpose kill Elisha because he's telling the king of Israel all of my secrets, my battle plans. And so they come and they surround Elisha and his servant. And do you remember what happens? The servant is terrified. And Elisha goes out and he sees the army surrounding them, ready to pounce and kill. And he tells his servant, don't fear. There are more with us than there are with them. And then he prays to the Lord that God would open the eyes of that that God would open the eyes of his servant. And you remember what happened? God opened the eyes of his servant, and the servant looked up around the rim of the mountains and saw that there were chariots of fire and in the angelic host, the angel army. And that's what we need to seek to do when we study the scriptures. Not to find a meaning that's not already there in the Bible. That's, that's not what spiritual sight is. The spiritual sight is not trying to find some hidden message. The, the, the goal and why we need the Holy Spirit is not so that we can read the Bible and find some unique interpretation and you know, you know, find the, the inner code. No, the, the, the reason why we need the Holy Spirit is because the Spirit opens our eyes to the reality and the truth and the glory and the beauty of, of the reality of what we read in the Scriptures. So that when we read about God being faithful or God being love, we know that not just as a truth, but we know it as a reality. Right, and and that's and that's what the Holy Spirit is there for. And so, just like as as Elisha prays that his servant's eyes would be opened 
to see what he cannot see with the eyes, with, with the human eye. He cannot see it with the eyes of the flesh. He needs the Spirit of God to open his eyes so that he can see the angelic army surrounding. So, and, and this is, and then what happens is, is God opens his eyes and he's, you know, wow, okay, so there are more with us than there are with them. And then, you know, the Lord strikes them with blindness. Um, so we are to, to, to read the Bible prayerfully and dependently. This is how we're to pr- approach the scriptures, understanding that, that we do this in complete dependence upon God to reveal truth. He also talks about how we are to read it diligently. And the whole point, uh, you know, the, what I think of when I think of reading it diligently is Psalm 1 verse 2, where the psalmist says, you know, that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. On his law he meditates day and night. And so we are to have the word of God, talking about it, listening to it, and uh you know, talking about it, reading it, and listening to it all the time. So, so maybe, you know, this is a, a great passage. Listen to this about reading the Bible diligently. We read it prayerfully and dependently, but we also read it diligently. Listen to Deuteronomy 6, verse 6. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You are to talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. (laughs) That's incredible. Think, Think about that. All these, all these things, you're, you're to talk about the... So let me just go through this again. You shall teach them to your children. You shall talk about them. When should, when should you talk about the scriptures? Well, basically all the time. When you sit, when you, when you walk, when, you, you know, when you're walking to work, when you're walking home from work, when you, uh, when, um, when you sit in your house, when you sit down to rest, right? When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. In other words, you're to talk about the Bible all the time. And then you're to bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as front lips between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In other words, you're to be seen putting the word of God everywhere so that everywhere you look, you see the word of God. And this is something that I don't... I. You know, I know that some people see it as kind of corny, those um, Bible verse a day flip calendars, because of some people, they're just too spiritual for it. You know, when I read the Bible, I, I want to read more than just a verse, right? I get that. And, and if you if the only Bible intake you get is just one verse a day, then, then you have problems, right? Okay. Uh, but, but nonetheless, don't believe that you're above that. I, I have a Bible, I have a verse a day calendar on my desk. Why? Because of Deuteronomy 6. That's why. Because I want it on my computer screen, and I want it in my car, and I want it um, on my desk right there in front of me. I want the Word of God everywhere that I look. So, you know, know, women especially are really good at decorating homes, uh, especially Christian women, 
in a way where they have Bible verses all over the house on little plaques, on little, you know, I, I, I right now um, I'm looking, um, I, di- I didn't buy this. Um, I think Crystal got it or maybe my mother-in-law got it. I can't remember. Psalm 91. I can see it. I'm in the bathroom. <laughs> it's right next to my mirror. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night or the arrow that flies by day. Uh, that's something that I look at every morning. And this is exactly what God commands us to do in Deuteronomy chapter 6, is that we are to be putting the Word of God like little... Like little reminders, right? We put sticky notes everywhere or post-it notes, whatever you call them. And this is how we are to treat the scriptures, to put the scriptures everywhere so that, you know, if we look over here, we look over there, we are constantly seeing the word of God. We're being reminded of his truth. You have the little desk calendar. I always put on a scripture or, you know, a quote from a, you know, a theologian, right? I've had the same quote on my, on my monitor at work for the last two years because it's just, I can't take it down because it's about contentment from um, Alistair Begg. So it says something along the lines of, um, you will, uh, the uh, con- contentment is the result, something along these lines. Contentment is the result of, of believing and understanding that you exist solely for the glory of God and to do his work or something like that. Um, it's just such a good quote, and it's so helpful for me to, throughout the day. But but to have these reminders of the word, to write it on the doorpost of your home. Men, encourage your, your wives and don't, you know, when, when they go to... In the, when they go to the store or Hobby Lobby or whatever, I just went to Hobby Lobby for the first time. Okay, I need to not go down that rabbit hole because... I'm going to say bad things about Hobby Lobby. I just don't like it. <laughs> I don't like craft stores. But but there are some really cool plaques in there with Bible verses. And we are to be having the Word of God, um, you know, like little IEDs everywhere we go in our life. When I look over there, it's a truth bomb. When I look over there, it's a truth bomb. And, and I constantly have it in my eyes. I'm always reading it, listening to it, and talking about it. Right. Um, so diligently, and the, the idea of, of meditation is that you are thinking about the word and mulling it over. You know, like people always talk about like a cow, it has four stomachs and they're, you know, chewing the cud. And so they, they, they chew it and then they swallow it and they spit, whatever they do, spit it back up and chew it again. <laughs> or like looking at a diamond where you hold it up and you look at it from every different angle and facet. And, and we are to do that with the scriptures, not just to read it, to check it off our list, but to read it and then meditate on it throughout the day um, on your way into work and on your way home from work. Actually, that's very biblical. Let me read it again. You shall teach them dil- diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So when you're on your way to work, when you're on your way home to work, home from work, the word of God. Well, uh, I want to um, let, let me say this. I want to I want to read this quote. I'm I'm going to kind of wrap up here as quickly as I can because um, this has already gone a hundred 
um, over an hour. Um, but just just so they can keep the book in in this, he says um, the amount of blessing we receive from the Bible. And the degree to which we understand the Bible will be in proportion to how much time we meditate on what we have read. Very simply, meditating is thinking, and here is the proverbial rub. Thinking takes time. Thinking is work. But thinking, thinking time is not wasted time. Many Christians get nothing from the Bible, not because they are ignorant, but because they are thoughtless. And that's true. The way that God has designed for us to relate with him in the, in, through his word is not, let me put it this way, the moment you became a Christian, it's not like God stuck a hard drive into the back of your brain and downloaded the Bible in one fell swoop. No, he did not download it in one fell swoop. He has decided and has been pleased to reveal his truth to us in a way that requires diligent study, meditation. And the older you get, and I've learned this now that I'm 40 years old, I'm over the hill. And I've learned, I remember D.A. Carson talking about the fact that there are some things in the book of Psalms that you cannot even begin to understand in your 20s. You can't even begin to understand it because you need life under your belt. You need experience under your belt. And this is part of the reason why Paul, you know, talking, you know, with Timothy, um, you know, do not look down on your youth. Well, you know, Timothy was probably about 40 years old. And in that culture, he was young. Young men, you know, need need to get some life under their, their belt before they get up into the pulpit and start, you know, preaching. And the reason is, is because D.A. Carson, what I've learned through the years is that D.A. Carson is right. You, you can't even begin the conversation with the psalmist, with the psalmists, if I can pluralize it. Um, you can't even begin the conversation or begin to understand it until you get some, some life under your belt. Uh, because, you know, you, you can, let, let me put it this way. Over the last 10 years in our life with James, I can say that I studied the sovereignty of God like crazy in my uh, early 20s. And I, I knew a lot about the doctrine intellectually. And it's one thing to, to learn a, about the doctrine and the theology of God's sovereignty. It's another thing when God comes in in his providential rule in your life and sovereignly kicks over all the furniture in your house. <laughs> now you're rubbing up against the reality of the sovereignty of God. And until you've had enough life under your belt where you're, you're contending not just with the truth, but with the reality that the truth communicates, right? You, you, haven't, even begun the, the, you haven't even begun to enter the conversation. And, and so it is with the Psalms. You can't even begin to understand what the psalmist is talking about until you have some life experience and under your belt. Until you have some failures and some, some you've been betrayed a few times. Until you've experienced some of the ups and downs and the heartaches and the joys of life. And the setbacks. And the times of intense loneliness and fear. And that just takes time. 
and God has designed it. And my whole point of, of this is that God has been pleased to reveal truth to us in a way that demands of us daily meditation. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, his, the, on the law of the Lord, he meditates day and night. It's not a one-time download. It is a lifetime of pursuing a relationship with God through his word. And God has not wanted to reveal his truth to us in a detached, impersonal, mechanical way. He is he is designed and has been pleased to reveal his truth to us in a way that 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 requires of us the pursuit of a relationship with him, of constant dependence upon him. And he reveals it to us bit by bit. Well, um one last thing. I know this is going long and and I can already see I I need to work on, on keeping these shorter. Um, but you know what? I, I don't want to apologize. Wait, hold on a second. I'm not going to apologize for this. This is the word of God. I've read a ton of scripture, and I'm just not going to apologize for it. There we go. I've redeemed myself. Um, the last thing I want to say, just a, it's just a tip on reading the Bible, okay? I think what... I found it in my own life to be true. What Barrett says on page 214, uh, he says, he talks about people who, you know, students, they, they, will, they will study and they'll study and they won't get anything out of it. And he says, the reason why is because they, they, they're not looking for anything. And he says this, he says, um, to teach good study habits as well as the subject facts Teachers will often supply students with study guides and study questions to aid them in reading the textbook. I just want to lay this out as a helpful tip for reading the Bible. What has made my Bible reading very effective in my life, most effective, has been to not just read without a purpose or a goal. Um, and to not just read with the very, uh, what would you call it, very general goal of I just want to know God. Um, what 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 I do is I have a list of questions that I answer for every chapter that I read. I have not done this for a couple of years, but I did it probably for the first 10, 15 years of probably for 10 or 15 years straight. Every passage that I read, um, Every or every I do it every chapter is I is is I I have a list of questions that I answer. It's the same questions for every chapter. It doesn't change, but the reason why I ask these questions is because it gives you something to look for. If you don't have something to look for, your eyes are going to glaze over, because some passages are just downright difficult, and some are just downright boring. And I know that some people don't say the Bible's boring. Well, listen, you you may be <sighs> people who are so sp- too spiritual for their own good. Yes, sometimes the Bible can be boring. And and when you do, when you tell people that the Bible is not boring, then what you're doing is you're setting them up for failure. You know why? Because they're going to go and they're going to feel like a loser because when they read the Bible, there are times when it's boring. Now, I agree. The reason 
that the Bible is boring when they read it, it's not because there's a deficiency in the Bible. The problem is with us, right? That's what needs to be said. The Bible is not boring, but reading the Bible can be very boring. And one of the ways that you can, uh, that I have found for myself, and I've taught this to many other people, is I have this list of questions that I made up to help myself get more out of my Bible reading, and it was very helpful. And these are just very general questions, and they can be answered for every single chapter in the Bible. So here's the four questions that I've always used. Number one, write down one thing I learned. And my rule was, um, you read until you answer this question. If you don't find one thing that you've learned, read it again. You don't get to go to the, you know, you don't get to go to the next chapter until you've answered these questions. You haven't read hard enough if you haven't learned anything. The second question is write down one question that I have. Maybe you want to learn more about, you know, you you say, well, how does that apply, you know, to uh, like a genealogy? Well, have did you know all those names before? <laughs> you know, when I read genealogy, that's one of the things that I always put. One question that I have, who is so-and-so, you know? Who are these people? <laughs> One thing I learned, well, I'd never, you know, I never knew this person's name before. Uh, so the third question I always ask is write down one thing this chapter says about God. Okay. One thing you, you it says about God. And this is very important. I think this is just as important as asking what does this say about Jesus? Because the triune God is... Jesus is the center of the Bible. God reveals himself through Christ. He's redeemed us through Christ. However, it, the triune God is the, the God of the Bible. And so we need to be asking this very general question. What, write down one thing this chapter says about the God of the Bible. Very generally. Write down, and then the last one is write down one way this chapter applies to my life. These four questions. Now, one question that I've been asking every time, every chapter I read over the last few years, I've just been asking one question, and I'm going to add this to my list of five, is this, but it doesn't apply to every passage, every chapter in the Bible, but almost every chapter. I've found that it applies to almost every single chapter in the Bible, that you can find an answer to this question. Write down... Every time God interacts or intervenes or answers prayer or pours out judgment or blesses. Every time God involves himself with his people or with the created order. Every time God is interacting or intervening with his creatures. Whether speaking, blessing, judging, having compassion. How God interacts with his people. That has been... That question right there has made my Bible reading come to life. My Bible reading has been so dynamic since I've begun to answer that for every, every chapter that I've read. Because you begin to realize God is always intervening. It's his world. Now let me close by just reading a passage. Uh 
Joshua. This has kind of been a little bit scattered. I hope it's been helpful. Uh, let me just read this. Joshua 1, verse 7, Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Well, Hope this has been a blessing. I'll catch you on the next one. Well, I hope that you've enjoyed this episode of the Happily Reformed Podcast. Uh, I just want to remind you that there is a link in the show notes for the book, A Radical Comprehensive Call to Holiness. Uh, There's a link there where you can go purchase the book. Um, If you have been reading along. I hope that the book study has been a great blessing to you. I know it's been a a tremendous blessing for me. Um, As always, I just want to remind you to like and subscribe to the podcast, uh, share it with your friends, share it on social media. Um, You know, and I, I, I do appreciate you listening in and I hope that you have been enjoying this uh, study and uh, yeah, I hope it's been a blessing to you. I will catch you on the next one. Stay happily reformed.